0: This is an AMI podcast. Hey, it's me, Lawrence Gunther, host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, heard on AMI-audio. I love exploring the great outdoors with my guide dog, and I want you to be just as comfortable exploring your community and beyond. Check out my show for the latest outdoor accessibility tips, tech, and insights. Listen to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther wherever you listen to great podcasts.
1: I'm Joyta Gupta, and this is The Pulse. For people with disabilities, human rights law is one way to advocate for social change. People with disabilities have turned to the law to deal with instances of discrimination in areas ranging from employment to housing, access to services, and education. Yet others within the disability community have a complicated relationship with anti-discrimination and human rights law. They contend that laws on paper don't necessarily translate to social change and substantive equality. These tensions about the role of the law, which seem abstract at the best of times, have come into sharp focus during the global pandemic for the disability community. Today, we discuss disability within a human rights framework. It's time to put your finger on The Pulse. Hello, and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Juhitha Gupta, and I'm the host of the program. It's really great to be with you today, and I hope that everyone is staying safe, that you're looking after yourselves. I know that COVID-19 seems to be dragging on and on and on, and with winter around the corner, it can be a difficult time with a lot of changes afoot for many of us across the country. But it's a good time to remember to stick together and a really good time to think about some of the ways in which we can build resilience and stay connected with one another at this difficult and unprecedented time. I've really wanted to tackle disability and human rights law For quite some time on the program because there are many ways to think about disability. There's the social model of disability. We've done a lot of disability and arts. We've talked about disability representation, but there's a lot to be said for the the influence of the law in all of our lives. If you remember my conversation with Donna Jodhan that aired a few weeks ago and her landmark legal case talking about accessibility for uh, people with disabilities and ensuring that federal websites were fully accessible. It's just one of many examples where people with disabilities have turned to the law and one of the ways in which we we try as people with disabilities to to ensure an equal playing field. So I'm very pleased to welcome to the program today the Chief Commissioner for the Ontario Human Rights Commission, Ina Chata. Ina Chata, welcome to The Pulse. It's really great to have you on the program. I actually wanted to speak to you for quite some time now. Thank you for having me and thank you for your interest in the Ontario Rights Commission and our work. I noticed you uh, just started in your role a few months ago, July, August of this year. It's a hard time to start a new job, um, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Did the pandemic make it challenging for you to take on a new role or to manage the transition?
0: Well, I think it's probably the same type of challenges that everyone else is experiencing, which is fatigue, fatigue. Uh, in Zoom meetings, and I think what was different for me is getting to know new people and building, trusting, working relationships through screens and digital uh, environments. But mm-hmm. I'm very excited in this job, and what I can tell you is the Ontario Human Rights Commission has taken on uh, work uh, through the pandemic just as if and if not stronger than before And Mm -hmm. the Commission's human rights work has pivoted to frame the pandemic crisis as a human rights issue.
1: And we're going to talk about that. It is not something that we will not be talking about today. But uh, one of the things that uh, a lot of people don't realize if they're not sort of plugged into uh, what's going on at the commission is that the Human Rights Commission in Ontario is part of a bigger system There's the Human Rights Tribunal there's the Human Rights Legal Support Center and I think a lot of people don't quite understand the differences so can you tell us in a nutshell what the Human Rights Commission in Ontario does and how it works in
0: concert with all of these other pieces that's an excellent question i'm so glad you're giving me the opportunity to explain the province's human rights system we we have a uh, system that should be considered you know sort of the, the star amongst the constellation of human rights systems out there we it's called the three pillars and the ontario human rights commission is one pillar amongst three the commission is the public education body we do policy development we do strategic inquiries uh systemic inquiries and we have the power to do targeted public interest litigation as well so that's what the commission does the other two pillars include the human rights tribunal of ontario which is the adjudication mediation entity so that's where you would go to file your complaint your human rights complaint that you've been subjected to discrimination or harassment and it's a complainant driven process so meaning it's direct access you file a complaint the tribunal accepts and processes that complaint and offers you a mediation a voluntary mediation and uh, hopefully your day at uh, at a hearing Human Rights Legal Support Centre is the legal advice entity. It provides free human rights legal advice across the province. And so that's how the province's human rights system works.
1: It's three pillars. But that's in Ontario. What about the rest of Canada? Does this model play out in other provinces as well? Or if you lived in BC or Alberta, is your human rights system going to look very different from what you've just described?
0: Um, most Provinces and territories in the country, all of them have human rights systems. Uh, mm-hmm. human rights law is a provincial jurisdiction. There's, a, you just mentioned earlier about the federal jurisdiction. There's also a federal commission that deals with mm-hmm. cases that arise in banking, telecommunications, airports. Uh, those are federally regulated areas. And so, yes, BC mm-hmm. or Prince Edward Island, they would have slightly different systems. But each and every jurisdiction provides protection on the basis of disability. Mm-hmm.
1: And so you said a few minutes ago that during the pandemic, the Commission is still working, you're still doing a lot, and trying to frame the pandemic in terms of uh, human rights issues. So what are some of the ways in which you're doing that?
0: When uh, we recognize the issue related to the pandemic, one of the things we did very quickly was to highlight the growing um, xenophobia uh, experienced by Asian Canadians and brought attention to that. And then we also quickly pivoted to uh, advanced the issue of disaggregated data to call attention to governments the need to understand how certain communities were being disproportionately impacted by the covid Mm -hmm. pandemic and so that's what i meant by the commission's work um, shifted in order to examine the negative impact of the pandemic on can uh, on ontario's most vulnerable and at risk populations, then I'd say in Canada we were the first agency to do that, first human mm-hmm. rights agency to draw attention to the pandemic as a human rights issue. Because if you might recall in the early days of the pandemic there was this notion that the that COVID nineteen didn't discriminate when in fact we know now that the social determinants of health uh uh, uh, play into higher infection rates in um, certain populations, including Black racialized communities and Indigenous communities.
1: I'm speaking to Ina Chata, Chief Commissioner for the Human Rights Commission in Ontario. Ina, one of the vulnerable groups that has really been affected adversely during the pandemic is people with disabilities. Uh, had a long conversation with David Leposky who talked about people with disabilities, especially kids, Um, having a lot of difficulty accessing online education. There have been other people who raised the alarm about uh, triage practices in Ontario and whether people with disabilities would get adequate access to ventilators. So there's a lot of concerns within the community. What has the commission heard about all this and what are you
0: planning to do about it? The commission has been working in this area. As I said, we were one of the first entities to draw the government's attention to the need for disaggregated data with respect to the impact of the COVID uh, of the disease. And we have been actively working with uh, other organizations, including Arch Disability Law, the AODA Alliance, the Canadian mm-hmm. Association for Retired Persons, um, as as other uh, groups that are interested. Interested in these issues, but very seriously concerned about the human rights implications. We've been working with um, the triage uh, table in trying to bring the government's attention to how their protocols and the proposed framework could adversely impact these groups. Uh, You know, Black, Indigenous communities, older people, people with disabilities. And right now we are... Actively trying to um, persuade the the Minister of Health to come forward with the draft protocol and uh, to meaningfully engage with these vulnerable groups and get their input on um, how the protocol should be
1: implemented. And, you know, I did notice that in your previous work experience, you had done a lot of work with ARCH, the Disability Law Center. I think you were the Director of Litigation. So you really do bring a little bit of experience or a lot of experience around disability rights issues. Tell us a little bit about your time at ARCH and how that work is influencing the work that you're doing now in your new capacity. Oh,
0: well, thank you um, for asking about that. I do think back Uh, fondly about my time at Arch Disability Law. The people there are so committed and driven uh, and hardworking to advance the rights of uh, people with disabilities to promote uh, universal design and accessibility and accommodation. And the interesting thing, it's almost hand in glove in the work of Arch and the Ontario Human Rights Commission. And as you said, I was a director of litigation there. So uh, under My watch, I guess, or during my tenure there, I was involved with some of the cases that dealt with, for example, the challenge to the immigration legislation, which disallowed families who had children with a disability to immigrate. Um and created barriers for pe you know spouses with disabilities to immigrate into Canada uh involved with the auton uh, um, litigation, which was uh challenging with uh challenging the government with respect to autism um, uh, uh, supports and uh workers' compensation there was a time in our world where workers' compensation did not provide for compensation for chronic pain-related fibromyalgia type of conditions. And I was involved with a litigation that established the principles that uh, those conditions were disabilities and should be uh, compensated for, like, um, for example, a uh, mobility impairment. So the, some of the work that I've been involved with, But as I said, the work of the Commission and the work of ARCH are very complementary in advancing uh, accessibility and accommodation. Mm-hmm. I'd certainly say, and it's
1: such a it's such a pleasure to hear that you've done that work before, uh, because there's so many people with disabilities who turn to the tribunals, who turn to the commission, um, and it's always it's always good to know that there's somebody uh, at the head of an organisation who has uh, that the experience who understands some of the issues and get some of the background. My name is Jyothi Gupta and my guest right now is Ina Chatter, who is the Chief Commissioner for the Ontario Human Rights Commission. So a couple of weeks back, Ina, I read your op-ed in the National Post that talked about the perils of being both Indigenous and being disabled.
0: Tell me why you wanted to explore that issue. I think we all in Canada have uh, probably held our Head in shame uh, about the recent events and tragedies with respect to medical racism, and in particular mm-hmm. medical racism against Indigenous people, and that the, those sets of circumstances moved me to write that piece. Indigenous people in Canada experience disability higher at higher rates than in, than the general population. In fact, I think the data indicates that Indigenous people experience disability rates at double the national average. So the um, concerns, if you think about it, how compounded and exacerbated that becomes with Indigenous people who are in remote or rural areas and the isolation and the restricted mobility to get to urban centres to receive care. And then when they reach, um, they actually reach those services we know that the historical injustice of colonialism and the social stigmas, um, the prevailing pernicious stereotypes of addiction and intoxication, those are always the first lens as we hear from our indigenous community members. They tell us that that's how they're viewed. And those create, uh, very, um, significant, uh, impediments to them receiving healthcare services. And so that it was, it was that context that made me write mm-hmm. that piece. We at the Ontario Human Rights Commission have litigation currently that deal with this exact issue of systemic racism in services and in particularly health, accessing essential services like health care.
1: You know, I was thinking about Joyce Eshequan, uh, whose tragic death in a Quebec hospital made national headlines. And I think that's what you were thinking about as well when you said, you know, we're all kind of hanging our heads in shame. Uh, one of the things I was struck by is as much as the conversation, importantly, talked about uh, colonialism and racism, there weren't actually a lot of people who were talking about what happened to Joyce Esher and looking at that through the lens of disability. And I feel like that happens a lot, even though it was her health condition or her disability that brought her to the hospital. It doesn't really get framed that way. Do you ever worry about the absence of disability from public discourse. I mean, they're talking about having a a public inquiry. If you don't include disability in the equation, do we leave out um, the full picture?
0: Absolutely. And that's what I was hoping to highlight in my piece. And in addition to disability, gender, it was the combination of all of those factors that coalesced to create such a terrible set of circumstances. And if you unpack the uh, slurs and insults that she was subjected to, as my piece points out, they could only be um, levied against an Indigenous woman. They attacked her for her uh, gender, for the fact that she was a mother, and they att- and and they uh, slurred her intelligence. And it was a combination of all those stereotypes. All of those stereotypes came together in such an abusive way. And I did note in the media coverage that the absence of disability um, and the failure to get at that component of the fact that she was there in the hospital setting but being subject to stereotypes because of her indigeneity, her um, health, uh, even suggestions about her mental competence uh, and her sex and her sex gender, all of that came together to create th- these awful, awful things that she experienced on her deathbed.
1: I'm a little remiss to ask my next question to the Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission about On the other hand, I feel like you are perhaps the best person to ask this particular question. I do a lot of women's studies, and I take a lot of gender studies classes, and there's a lot of talk about intersectionality and the importance Mm -hmm. of recognizing uh, the compound effects of multiple forms of oppression. When you Mm -hmm. think about the way the human rights system is set up, though, I get the impression that each of the protected grounds, it's almost like it operates in a silo. So how does one reconcile those two ways
0: of thinking about discrimination? again that was i think at the heart of my piece that i was urging uh people out there to understand that we have to stop compartmentalizing the ontario Human rights commission has a piece you can read it on the uh website uh, with respect to intersectionality and so we need to move our human rights lens, we need to move our human rights discourse to a place that we stop looking at people uh, based on individual characteristics, but to look at the multifaceted nature of who we are. And in particular, in this situation, I would urge you to look at the fact that the inhumane treatments that people with disabilities have experienced over decades, some of that is mirrored in the inhumane treatment of our indigenous Peoples. For example, we know women with disabilities are, uh, were historically sterilized at rates of, you, you know, they, and, they, and people with disabilities were experimented on. And those exact same experiences um, were we, uh, experienced by our Indigenous communities as well in Canada. I'm
1: speaking to Ina Chatter, who is the Chief Commissioner for the Ontario Human Rights Commission. I was telling you before we started to take the interview uh, that I was talking to your predecessor, Rinu Madani, about the Right to Read campaign. I, I'm not just talking to her, but I actually interviewed her on this program. It must have been well before the pandemic and the lockdown set in. So it's quite a while back that we did that show. Can you just remind us about what the Right to Read campaign is? What were you trying to find out?
0: The Right to Read campaign was launched in October 2019 by the Ontario Rights Commission and it was, it is an inquiry. I don't know if you remember when I mentioned that we have a power, Mm -hmm. a statutory power at the Ontario Human Rights Commission to look at systemic issues and to take a a bird's-eye view examination of what's happening in the province. And in 2017, we committed uh, at the Ontario Human Rights Commission to examine the issue of uh, education and accessibility. And as part of that commitment, we launched this inquiry, which is the right to read. And it looks at whether public education entities are using scientific evidence-based approaches to help students with reading disabilities, because we know that the ability to read is a fundamental skill that all children need in order to navigate through life. And what we understand through our inquiry is that there are segments of uh, students that in every classroom who are failing to read and who are being left behind because of unacceptable or inadequate ways of of teaching and um, the absence of system-wide supports for students to read.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's been a little over a year now since you launched the inquiry. We've also had the pandemic in the middle of all of this. Uh, where are things at now?
0: Well, um, the commission has selected eight school boards to focus on to assess their compliance with the obligation to provide equal treatment to students with reading disabilities. And we had convened public hearings before the uh, pandemic. We were able to meet with community in Brampton, London, Thunder Bay, and Ottawa. We also held Indigenous engagements in London, uh, as well as Thunder Bay and Kenora. But unfortunately, the pandemic did Hit and we weren't able to um, meet in certain other communities. But I think with the, what we did have uh, in our in person public hearings, uh, we also made up with through surveys and contact uh, uh, emails and telephone calls. And I can tell you the community is very engaged on this issue, very concerned that we ensure that our children with disabilities are able to learn how to read. And I think we received over a thousand. Sets of communication, mm-hmm. telephone calls and emails and submissions on this issue and heard from tw- I think at least 20 organizations filed written submissions. The inquiry is now at the point of collecting all of this data and documents and assessing the information. We have two experts retained who are, who are helping us understand best practices and the science behind um, uh, reading And hopefully in the spring we will release a comprehensive report which will make recommendations and findings that I hope, not just helping families and students with reading disabilities, but I hope the fundamental lessons that come out of this comprehensive inquiry will help all students with disabilities obtain the services and accessibility they need in their education to to be able to succeed.
1: Um, I am looking forward to your report and I am—I can just about guarantee that you will be back here sharing your findings with us. We've just got a few minutes left and you know we spent so much time today talking about your role and talking about the work of the Commission. I just want to talk to you um, as a person and get a sense of what is it that inspired you and dedicated you to a life of, of working in the field of human rights? What is it about the work that moves you?
0: Oh, uh, so... <laughs> Kind of you to be interested in me personally. I am a racialized woman myself. I still live in my hometown of Branton, which if for your listeners or um, audience should know is a highly racialized, uh, pop, diverse. I think it's the, the power, the powerhouse of diversity, in fact. (laughs) And so I come with a lifetime of uh, knowledge, both professionally and personally with regarding inequality and racism. And I often tell the story that my kitchen table at at uh, home, listening to my father uh, talk about their, my father, my parents talk about their experiences as immigrants from India. I was born in India about colonialism in India under the British rule. And my father frequently reflected on how, the horrendous conditions our first nations people live here in canada is no different or if not worse than the conditions of colonial india and so i think that was my those were the lessons i learned as a child that have inspired me to about work in human rights my entire career well i have
1: really enjoyed talking to you not least because um i'm also from india and i really felt like i could Relink to you. So, you know, it's been really nice getting to chat with you and finding out a little bit about the work of the Commission. Thank you very much for doing all that you're doing. And we hope to have you back on the program to discuss the results of uh, the inquiry, the Right to Read inquiry. Thanks a lot for being on the program.
0: Well, thank you for taking a leadership role and and having a leadership voice on these issues and engaging with, with us. And I do look forward to coming back and updating you on the substantive work of the Commission. That was Ina Chatter, who is the Chief Commissioner for
1: the Ontario Human Rights Commission. You can catch our conversation on any podcast platform if you missed any of it. You can also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse, where I will have a few more things to say. I'd like to thank Ina Chatter for being my guest on the program today. Our technical producer is Nasreen abdul Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio, and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day.